Now tuning in to Earbud Media. Audio for everyone. Anthropology in the time of the apocalypse. Ah. Anthropology in the time of the apocalypse. Ah. Anthropology in the time of the apocalypse. Ah. Anthropology in the time of the apocalypse. Before we start the episode, I just wanted to let everyone know that we're going to be talking to someone who is an autopsy tech. Uh, So I just wanted to give a brief trigger warning for the topic of death, suicide, overdose, and drug use. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Anthropology in the Time of the Apocalypse. Hello. Hello. Nina. And Erin. And Aaron, and we have so we're really excited for our guest today. Our guest's name is Josh, and he's a autopsy tech, which I'm really excited to hear about what that entails because I surely don't know. Do you know, Aaron? No, <laughs> no I mean, no. <laughs> I, like I know what the words mean, but together I'm like, okay, let's see. <laughs> Do you want to say hi? Oh yeah, hi, hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome to our show. Thanks. I'm glad to uh, talk to you about what I do and fill in any gaps of what may need to be filled in. Definitely. And see how it relates to anthropology. Everything basically does. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how are you doing today, Josh? I'm good. As we were you know, discussing earlier, cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Before it started getting cold, I was in a really good habit of working out and going running. And oh, wow. it reached 50 degrees on a daily basis. I haven't been running in you know, months. <laughs> It's hard. It is. I like walk is all I do for physical exercise, but I live next to the lake, like literally. Um, So we walked, I think, once a couple weeks ago when it was 10 degrees and we haven't walked since because my face hurt (laughs) and my my toes were getting cold. I was just like, this isn't worth it anymore for me. I'm sure there's like a lot of moisture coming off that lake too. Yeah. It was so windy. It's just not, Yeah not worth it and i already hate working out so i like when the weather advisory said stay away from the lake and i like looked out and i was like well (laughs) Well, if you want to transport me (laughs) we've had a weather advisory like almost every week for like the last three weeks it blizzarded and then it blizzarded again (laughs) and then i walked outside one day and there were three cars stuck on our street It got to the point in the night where they just left them overnight because their cars wouldn't move. And I considered moving to Chicago, and you you two are really selling it to me to not move to Chicago. It's so great, but you cry like six months out of the year. I already do that, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not ideal. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah, I woke up to someone stuck in the snow, and I was like, yeah. "Should I go out and help push his car?" I was like, it's... "Nah." That <laughs> was so high on the parking spots that cars can't get fully in them, so they just are parked crooked, like the the front just sticking out. It's really. <laughs> we should make like a photo album of the fuckery. <laughs> Chicago winter things. Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry that. You know, the winter's taken some good activities away. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has. It um, well, you know, it pairs well with the fact that we've been stuck inside. Well, mainly stuck inside for almost a year, basically. Right. And all learning how to adapt to that life. Uh huh. So it's just colder. <laughs> it's just colder outside now than when mm-hmm. we were originally caged in. So. It feels wild to say that it's been a year. I feel like. 
I be, before the panty, I felt mentally like I was in my 30s, mid 30s. Like that's my happy space. That's where I aspire to be. Now I do feel a little bit like a 57 year old, you know, <laughs> person. <laughs> I feel like I have been aged and I'm just like hurting mentally and physically. <laughs> this is a sad episode. I just, I go, I go to work and come home. Right. That's pretty much all I do. Yeah. And it, I'm not even ashamed of that. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You're almost being proud. Like, see, we're doing it right. Yeah. Some people are not, are doing a lot of other stops. How many people are doing other things? Especially here, <laughs> like downtown, people are going to Broadway and going to the honky tonks and drinking and. What? That's crazy. Tourists. Well, didn't, didn't, I don't know if it was Nashville, but I think Gallatin, where my partner's family lives, they were like late on the like mask orders and the rules were all like willy nilly. So my partner went in October and she was like, everyone's maskless. Like they're so close to me. She was really disturbed coming from Chicago. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I was driving to Chattanooga. Wow. Uh, July. It, it seems like it was last month. Um, yeah. And I was I stopped in some podunk East Tennessee town, um, <laughs> or not East Tennessee, but Central Tennessee town, and nobody was wearing a mask. I walked in, and everybody looked at me like I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> like, I'm the, like I'm the weirdo. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> You're the one that lives in this town, so. <laughs> well, mentally, it's, like, weird. It's a really weird, like, reaction. I've recently been stress dreaming about not wearing a mask, and it's really awful. I, like, had one a couple of nights ago where I had to fly somewhere with my mom, and we were wearing masks on the plane, and no one else was, and I was like, we're going to get COVID. <laughs> and she was like, it's okay, it's okay. And I was like, ah! And then I woke up, and I was like, I am so stressed when I'm awake and asleep, and so... It's great. It's great. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which, since, I mean, work is a huge part of your life right now, could right, you right. talk to us a little bit about your job? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, you know, a day-to-day -day is I go into work, we start pulling bodies out of the cooler, and we start processing them. By processing, I know that it, it sound, it's going to sound and resemble a factory when I describe this. So, mm -hmm. sorry. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a way it is. You get them in, mm -hmm. you, you get them out. Exactly. So they can go back to their families. Yeah. Uh, well, funeral homes and then families. But we get there, we start processing bodies, which means we start undressing them, logging their personal effects. Like if they've got mm -hmm. money, if they have a watch on, jewelry. Oh gosh. Log all that in. If they're a homicide or a suicide... Uh, depending on the manner, uh, we don't we don't touch them until a forensic pathologist comes back and looks at them and lays eyes on them in case there's anything they need to say because they're the ones that are going to have to go testify in court. Mm -hmm. So it's imperative that they see anything that's going to court. Basically, they need to lay eyes on before we touch it. Right. So we do initial photos. We take a photo of the body as it is in the body mm -hmm. bag. Just to, so there's documented evidence. We open the bag. Here's the way the body is. And then morning meeting. Uh, they go into a morning meeting. They divvy the cases up. And then they come back. 
and then we start uh, eviscerating. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, the visuals. <laughs> I'm thinking of Bones and a lot of the shows that I watch that that I get these visuals from. Wow. And that's the thing. There's a you know the CSI effect. Everybody. Mm -hmm. I was talking to um, a guy from TBI, which is the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation here, and they get calls from people that want to be agents. They want to be special agents. They want to solve, uh, you know, uh, but then they come to find that it's not like the TV shows. Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Surprising. <laughs> I think like the one of the first conversations that ha is had in anthropology, at least at our school, is when... 10 people come in and they're like, I want to be a forensic anthropologist. And then like Ginger and Dr. Herself to be like, actually, there's only one in the whole world. And so you can't, there is not another one. You're not going to do it. <laughs> and then they go, what? And they're like, yeah, you, it's a show. You're watching a show. Right. So you can't be that because yeah. it's not real. <laughs> well, everybody expects the case, you know, when there's an investigation going on, they, I can't really speak on TBI's behalf because I don't work there. From the way it was portrayed to me, they assume that cases are solved, you know, within hour. Yeah. And it's the same, you know, we have that same kind of view during autopsy. You know, when there's an autopsy on TV, it's a dim, lit, dungeon-looking room. There's only yes. one body and a sheet on a table. And it's Yeah. Nah. It's and you're a... just waiting to figure out the one body's <laughs> holds it right. Exactly. No, this is where we are. We've got 12 to 15 bodies out on tables. You know, fluorescent lights, so it's headache bright. Too well lit. <laughs> <laughs> the autopsy person always has a special relationship with the cops, where they're always like, "Yeah, I can't really show you the body yet, but like, bribe me with yeah. tickets to this game, and I'll show you." As if that's not illegal and not how it works. I mean, I've gotten lunch that way a few times, but it's <laughs> disclaimer: I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a. Uh... It's been wild. And lately it's been busy. Yeah, I was going to say, is it, has it literally like picked up your the amount of bodies you're working with with COVID? That's so morbid. <laughs> yeah, we, we have, but it's, I don't want to say it's directly contributed to, but it might be attributed to. Right. As far as, you know, we may have an uptick in cases, but it's not COVID. It's overdoses it's suicides it's mm. the larger impact right because perhaps maybe somebody couldn't get into a hospital because all these hospital beds were taken maybe they die naturally but they couldn't get into a hospital so that's kind of due to covid as well so it's gotcha. you know the stats can be you know i don't i don't think they're purposely exaggerated in any means but i do sometimes wonder if some of those get kind of shuffled into it which yeah i think at the beginning of the pandemic since like the way the us has just not handled it well at all people have been talking about the mental health impact poverty not having a house all of those things have real life effects on people outside right. of just getting the virus mm. when you and even getting you know people's rent they don't have you know they're they're mm -hmm. getting this rent, but at one point they're going to come and owe $5,000 after not having a job. And right. uh, we may, you know, just kind of stay busy. So, <laughs> well, I was just listening to, oh, two and a half lesbians. And they were talking about how one of them did, just did their taxes and they owed so much because of unemployment. I just feel like 
I am getting shit whipped in the adulthood arena of this <laughs> fucking like time. And I didn't even think about that. And I'm so stressed out and I don't want to file my taxes. I also heard that something with TurboTax is messed up and I use TurboTax. <laughs> so I'm just like, there's no winning out here. God, <laughs> this is a complaint session for me. <laughs> but it's true. I will say, TurboTax worked for me. Yeah, it's supposed to like not like we were supposed to get free tax care. That's not the right word. Yeah, being able to file it for free. <laughs> yeah, and they're then they sold it to private companies. It's just it's fucking. If you make under seventy thousand dollars, you should be allowed to file for free. And I certainly don't. Certainly. I don't have a job, so that would that would very easily lead to not having that amount of money. I was talking to my sister and she was like, You make like twenty. And I was like, Are you serious? <laughs> I make twenty thousand no, Maya. No. She's gonna listen to this and she's gonna be like, Screw you, Nina. It was like private conversation. <laughs> That was off the books. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's definitely taken its toll on, on people. Yeah. Definitely drug usage. That's, that's the main one we see. A lot of overdoses. Mm. You know, there's, a, there's a misconception that at a medical examiner's office, there's, you know, like, oh, this homicide came in. or And I mean, yes, we get those, but it's overdoses. People people don't don't have a primary care physician most of the time, mm. so it's not as exciting as you know bones or CSI or right. <laughs> it can it can be at times, but not most of the time. How do you dissociate from that? Like, do you have a ritual when you come home that to help me like not personalize all of the death? Yeah, when I come home, like my I only live two miles from work, luckily, so that drive home is my time to decompress. And when I get home, other than, you know, obviously right now it's kind of a uh, hypocritical, but I usually don't talk about work. I don't think about work when I'm in my apartment. Mm-hmm. And this, and this is fine because I'm not complaining about my job. So, <laughs> which is usually what I would do when I was used to doing when I got home because the case right. was high, I would just come home and be like, man, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> so when I come home, it's this. It's me, Jolene. We just hang out. That's what it is. Um, but as far as dissociating, it's you look at it from a, a very clinical point of view. Yes, these are people. I never lose sight that they are people or that they're someone's family member, loved one. But I also, at the same time, step back and go, okay, this is a, a case. Mm-hmm. We're trying to you know, either figure out what killed this person, whether it be a heart disease or some other kind of factor. Well, if it's a mm-hmm. homicide, we want to we want to be able to present as much evidence to the prosecutors as possible. Gotcha. Yeah, you, you, you kind of step back and see, I don't want to say a bigger picture, but a, a less attached picture because right. I'm not dealing with the family every day. That's more what the pathologists and investigators do. The, the process of working on it and trying to like, almost like a puzzle piece, like figure things out. Mm-hmm. And also when I'm eviscerating, that's my time to meditate. I know that seems like a really strange time. Because, <laughs> you know, you that's where you're focused. You don't want to like nick yourself or anything like that. I just take that time to be very mindful. Wow. Hmm. 
I'm going to write a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> you should. <laughs> so you actually said that you, you took some time off. What inspired that and sort of how has that been? Just like the short time that you did take. Yeah, that, I needed some time off. It was yeah. after, you know, the tail end of the year, we get a lot of cases because for budget reasons, I don't really want to delve into that because it's just kind of screwed up in my opinion. So since the end of the year until now, we've just been getting slammed in regards to what, what we were used to last year. We're at walk into a day where there's 20 or 30 cases and you're like, shit, man, (laughs) that's so many people. And so I just needed some time. Plus I'm in school. So I wanted to like catch up on, get ahead in schoolwork. I'm taking four classes a semester, so. Wow, what are you studying? Uh, industrial organizational psychology. Ooh. Yeah, it's the, basically the science behind human resources. Mm, very cool. What made you go on to get into that? And how long have you been in school for? Two years. I'm a, a late bloomer. I, I didn't go to school until two years ago. Yeah. Tennessee, out of all of the states, and there may be one like, maybe Washington or something does it. But if you're, if you don't have a college degree and for me, if you're 25 or older, mm-hmm. you get the Tennessee uh, reconnect grant and you get your associate's degree for free. Oh, awesome. That's amazing. Tennessee, you know, you would never think Tennessee, but Hey, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I got, I would work in places and I just got tired of seeing poor efficiency or poor cultures in workplaces where, mm-hmm. where, where certain dynamics are just outweighing other dynamics. I'm like this isn't mm-hmm. effective for your business. This isn't effective for your workers. Right. So that's kind of mm-hmm. what set me on that direction. Awesome. Have you ever heard of uh, Dr. Berryman? He's a forensic anthropologist. I don't think so. Maybe. But he's out at MTSU in Murfreesboro. I think I have heard of this person, actually. Well, he consults with us on anthropology cases. So when we get bone cases or almost bone cases, where we have to boil off the meat in the crock pot. Oh. (laughs) I'm sorry, you're drinking water. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just a... uh, (laughs) What did you say? (laughs) (laughs) So never eat out of a crock pot at a morgue. But if you... uh, (laughs) Sometimes we get cases, there's still like some, there's still some meat on the bones and uh, there's no organs. So you can't really look through the organs. So we boil the, the meat off the bones. That's so messed up that y'all use a crock pot. <laughs> like a pressure cooker. That's crazy. I have a gross question. Does it smell like, like human meat? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're boiling the meat off. We get burn cases that smells like barbecue, you know? Oh, yeah. Wow. Especially during the winter. We get a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of crispy people. Oh, wow. Holy crap. I, I just, these are things that I don't think about regularly. And so my mind, I feel like, is a little bit like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is the stuff they don't tell you on TV shows. <laughs> no, literally. I just started listening to true crime podcasts because... It makes me frustrated when I'm not a part of conversations. <laughs> so I will do anything to be a part of an online conversation about something. <laughs> and so I was like, well, if every if all these people are listening and talking about true crime, then I have to engage. <laughs> um, and I'm 
so timid when it comes to gross things. And I just feel my innards being like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but I just keep going because I can't take not being able to have a dialogue. <laughs> See, I found like things don't gross me out. Like I, I can, mm -hmm. obviously not a lot grosses me out. Just people's like mindsets and that grosses me out. You know, if mm -hmm. I see, you know, like someone that's just totally shitty, I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I could eviscerate you, but I don't want to do it to you. Yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> Have you seen Get Out? No, not yet. I really want to. There's a really nasty scene. <laughs> Have you seen Get Out, Aaron? Yeah, but I've, I've been like, I've seen it multiple times. So then I just like don't look for, for, the, for the period of time. Well, I saw it three times in theater, not on purpose, not on purpose. I saw it with each parent and then a friend. I'm a child of divorce. <laughs> and the first time I looked, and that was a bad idea. And it's, yeah, this just has to do with the brain and the skull. And the, and the skin flap. A thunk, you know? Oh, yeah. A thunk. I've never heard the thunk, but I've definitely seen the <laughs> aftermath of. <laughs> right, right. Was, uh you know, death in anthropology, like death rituals, ever something either of you covered in any of your classes? Dr. Good talks about a lot about death rituals and like mind culture and like spiritualism in general. She does a lot of cross-cultural analysis of like connections to the spirit world and the global South. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I haven't, I haven't talked, taken a class about that where we talked about death rituals in a while. I think right now, like, I'm really curious as to, like, stuff right now, mm -hmm. everything, I mean, with the pandemic, it's changed a lot of people's death rituals and just grief, processes of grief in general for not being able to gather or gathering on Zoom or just all of those things. The actual, the last thing that I read about death rituals, and it's, real, it's also really nasty. Once again, I'm going to mention something fucked up. There's a lot of information coming out right now on the internet especially when the riots were really big back in the 19th century some of the things that like um white slave owners did to their slaves when they died and one of the things that happened was they made they put um their bodies into soups and ate them which is like a well-documented it's not really a death ritual it's just a really awful yeah and that and like I think a lot of people know about if you get a piece of furniture from a certain period of time there will be slave hair in it and stuff like that yeah I don't know it's arguable whether it's a death ritual but it's just a fucked up thing around death <laughs> <laughs> well it'd be I think it'll be interesting to kind of look back on this in 50 60 years to see yeah what has changed because obviously a lot of things are going to change the way we view you know like you were saying grieving or the way mm -hmm. we look at them many different things are going to change and i feel like it's going i feel like with the internet and technology our our worlds are beginning smaller and there's still obviously cultural differences by far but i feel yeah. you know after something global like this in addition to our global connection i feel like it might change everybody all together mm -hmm. in the same way at the same time maybe yeah I don't know I'm so curious about the juxtaposition of like 
In the beginning of the pandemic in New York City, there were semi-trucks that were acting as refrigerators filled with dead bodies of mm. people who were dying from COVID. And that we can now, like, because so many more people have died, there's just this desensitization of seeing these mass numbers of death. And so it scares me that, like, the same people who were like, wow, look at all these semi-trucks filled with people mm. who were alive last week and, like, mm-hmm. now... I don't know, are just less scared of COVID. Well, and it's funny that now we're, not funny, uh, bad to worse. <laughs> it's hilarious that we're looking at death this way now. <laughs> I think it's in a way, there's like, I don't know if you've seen, there's a lot of death positivity going around. That's something that a lot of people are trying to cultivate as far as not not necessarily being happy about it, but just kind of accepting that it's... Right. And in a way, we're kind of, so when I was doing a little research before the show, there is this, um, this uh, little town in Ghana where the way they mm-hmm. view death is it's something that they, they're used to. And I know we are too, but in a way, you know, where you look at this little town and you're seeing like, oh, they've been dealing with this, you know, stark vision of death for so long. And then here we're just now experiencing it and we're like, oh man, what's going on? It's like, I wonder how we would also t- contextualize that with like the the relationship with death might also be related to like the neocolonialism and like imperialism of Africa and how it's been just repeatedly I think especially black black Africans black Americans have had to have a kind of like not positive relationship to death but I think we just it's always there and not by like will or want in a way, like, it's a difficult, like, construction of, like, what is natural when it's, how is it natural when it's not natural that all of our resources have been taken for multiple generations and we can't even afford to, like, care for people? Death is hard. I just think a majority of people are now, instead of seeing death as this, like, cool thing they can watch on a CSI show, they're, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. they're starting to realize oh you know yeah (laughs) yeah like everyone knows people who've died from the and i feel like it's also infiltrating like class in a different way because i feel like money made it so that you could withstand like death was farther off you know and now it is just COVID is making it so that you're not like obviously no one's immune to it but you're even more susceptible and like money cannot destroy this virus for everyone you know like, COVID doesn't care how much money you paid for this wedding to have. During- exactly. COVID's not like, damn, that guy's got a nice suit. I'm going to leave him Exactly. Alone. Oh, my God, he has a BMW. I will just not go into his car right now. <laughs> it's amazing how little I can tell how much money someone has when they're naked on a table. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know that's a really weird perspective, but... No, yeah. It's like... Oh, you're rich, but you're you're dead. You know like, exactly. Yeah, it's it's coming for all of us. Once again, it's not a happy thought, but I think it's it's a thought worth kind of considering and right. more or less making peace with than being happy about. Yeah. How do you wanna? What do you wanna do when you die, Aaron? <laughs> do you wanna be cremated? What's your thing? Um. Yeah. Definitely cremated because. I feel no attachment to my physical self when I'm not in it. Or you could be shot into space. (laughs) Waste of resources. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) 
What if you went with like a thousand other people and it was more economically? Oh. So yeah. True. I feel like it would be closer to like wanting a plant, just like scattered on a garden or something. Right. What about you, Nina? I want to be planted in one of the tree pods. I love trees. That's, oh my God, that sounds really basic. <laughs> Saying it out loud. I love trees. No, um, I really, really like trees, like a lot. Keeps us alive, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I've wanted that since I was like a kid, which sounds weird too. But I, when I was younger, there was like, they were making the tree pods that you could be buried with. And I was like, well, that's it, it for me, guys. That's me. I'm a tree. <laughs> what do you want to happen, Josh? <laughs> I want to be embalmed sitting and then put in a dunk tank. Uh, no, <laughs> I want to be cremated. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna ask who you wanted to like. Who are the people that get to try and dunk you? I would. I would pre-record roasts too. You know, so anytime they miss, it just that's amazing. I know. I think you should do that <laughs> and have it broadcast live. And that's how I would pay for my funeral. It's like a dollar to throw. You know? Exactly. see. <laughs> You can be paraben wax, you know, all the way down. <laughs> this is rough, though. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, what have you been doing for fun? What is, like, your your hobby? Like, what keeps you hopeful? I, I like to play a lot of music because right now I'm in, I'm in school in addition to working. Uh, so whenever I have free time. Oh, yeah. Is that – are you struggling with your workload? Four classes is a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a lot. But the way I think of it is, what would I be doing instead of studying? I would just being I would just watch Netflix, which which there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I'm I'm just shifting my priorities around to make it not seem like it's such a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Like studying is equal. Yeah, Yeah, it's equal watching Netflix. Right. Right. (laughs) So music when I can. The pandemic's also kind of facilitated me to be sober i haven't drank in like 11 months that's awesome congrats yeah yeah i could i could have alcohol at home and i would never touch it but you get me out in a bar and i'm spending like 60 dollars and i'm getting drunk you know and right (laughs) and that's a problem or a what problem right so i i quit drinking and i feel great nice Damn. I mean, I quit drinking and I'm still sad. <laughs> I gotta stop talking. <laughs> You're allowed oh to be sad. <laughs> Not to compare. Not to compare. No. no, no. Oh, what prompted you to stop drinking? Or was it just... Well, I, I don't drink alone ever. Um, and it just was like... I would, we would drink at home and then we would get really tired because we worked so much. We were like, I just don't want to be tired anymore. And then we literally just stopped. I think it depends on the alcohol, to be honest. Because, mm-hmm. like, we started drinking hard kombucha and that, like, I love it. I just hate feeling, like, drowsy. I miss my routine of, like, going, walking to the train, getting off the train, walking to get drinks, bagels, and whatever. Yeah. And so I'm not moving as much. Exactly. Yeah. So it just made me, like, literally. I would sit and get existential on the couch while we were watching like a nature documentary. I was like, no more alcohol. Yeah. What's the uh what's the vaccine rollout like up there? 
Oh, I, that does not look like a good time. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> yeah, my mom just got her first vaccine nice. a couple weeks ago. But she got, I thought she got it later than she needed to because she's a pharmacist mm-hmm. um, and she works with like um, nursing homes and she works at Walmart just on the like, you know, in the pharmacy. And so I was like, she deals with people every day and she got it pretty late. And I think there a lot of people are getting on the wait lists, but it's just the way it's being distributed is funky. What are your thoughts about it? I'm a little pee. I just am confused about the like list because it's like, okay, if you're not like above 65 or like working right now, mm-hmm. you can't get it at all. And mm-hmm. I just like worry for disabled people. And like, there's definitely disabled people way before me, like people who are on chemo, people who are on immunosuppressant drugs, like who should just like, there should just be a list for us. Like there should just, they shouldn't just say, you actually don't need it. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) and I don't, I get to, I have had the privilege to stay home. So it's like, I definitely don't need to be the first one at all, but it's, I'm just sort of confused for people who need it. I mean, the the weight thing is really confusing not looking right um yeah what about how does what is nashville what is tennessee like uh it's uh you know I, uh all right i can only <laughs> I, just like, I think i think it, you know i i was hoping it was more of like a regional thing but it seems like it's a national shit show uh, yeah as far as rolling it out I agree with both of you. There, there's some, there's some people I, I see that have gotten it. So, for instance, someone here is a, a radio show host, and they've gotten theirs. But their justification was that they volunteer at a woman women's ho- homeless shelter. But it, I'm, I'm thinking like that shot could have gone to like someone at the women women's home. Right. Someone at risk at higher risk. Exactly. Like you're exactly. Because you're near them. In a way, in a way that argument doesn't make any sense because it's like, so you're already stating that you're volunteering at a shelter. So you're already feeling kind right. of hoity. And then you're right. saying, oh, well, I'm getting my vaccine because I'm helping these people. You're like, oh, that sounds, Ugh. that's one of those personality <laughs> things. <laughs> I, I've gotten both of mine. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure most of the healthcare workers here yeah. have gotten theirs. But as far as, you know, elderly, high-risk people, I'm mm. I'm not sure. I know my dad down in South Florida, he's he's over 65. I, I can't remember how old he is, but mm-hmm. he uh, he's gotten his first one. Oh, good. Which they may have alloc- allocated a lot for Florida because there's a whole bunch of old people down there. Yes. It is old people central. Old people and money. What else do yeah. you mean? The vaccines are like, hello. <laughs> also, people were, it was a hot spot forever. Is it still a hot spot? Our country's a hot spot. It's right. Totally a hot spot. And you're right. <laughs> I think all the healthcare workers I know have gotten theirs, actually. And I know a lot. That's good. Because of my parents. So, yeah. Yeah, no, no, nothing weird happened. <laughs> yeah, did you grow feathers? I did see the microchip in the second dosage. Mm. Uh, I thought floating Got in it. there. They trick you with the first one. <laughs> this episode's going to get flagged so hard. <laughs> They're going to be like, no, no, no. <laughs> Spotify is going to be like, no. <laughs> well, you know, I feel like it's in the second one to make sure that you're committed to this whole thing. Um, of course. They figured that our cell phones weren't tracking us enough, so we needed 
uh, an optional way to put something inside of her body to track us. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah, we don't give away any of our personal information freely. So. Yeah. <laughs> how, how would you say you've been staying connected to folks during the pandemic? You know, most of my friends live outside of Nashville anyway. Mm-hmm. So even before all of this, it was always pretty much a phone call talking to them. So I haven't, I've been lucky enough to where I haven't necessarily felt the effects. And I I understand that I've been lucky. I've worked straight through it. Right. I I didn't go anywhere. I didn't have any hobbies. All my hobbies require me just being at home anyway. Right. (laughs) I'm making myself sound like a really interesting person. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, I don't know how, like, it's definitely like you've had to work, but I don't know how lucky it is. It does suck that everyone has working during a pandemic is love, but also if your work is an yeah. essential position. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate you. <laughs> and I, I, I told uh, one of the doctors I work with that I would uh, just plug this mm-hmm. is that I, do you, do either of you know anybody in med school thinking about going to medical school at all? I know someone in med school. Yes. No one person in med. Yeah. Uh, make sure they know about forensic pathology because so there's probably about 500 forensic pathologists, you know, medical examiners in the U.S. Mm-hmm. In, just in total? <laughs> total. Yeah, total. Mm. There are roughly 12,000 dermatologists. There's so many dermatologists. So you've got to realize how many people are dying that medical examiners' facilities are declining mm. that could be brought in for an autopsy that there's just no staff. Right. So there's no visibility for forensic pathology in med school. Nobody knows when they go to med school, they're not like, Oh, I want to, yeah, they want to be a brain surgeon or a cardiothoracic surgeon because of Gray's anatomy, you know, which, and there's nothing bad. There's nothing wrong with that. We need them, but there's other paths. Yes, of course. This is our first sponsorship deal. It's with um, the field of forensic pathology uh, <laughs> join now for 4.99 for 12 years um, <laughs> name now names the national uh, association for medical examiners so i'm sure they'd mm-hmm. love to hear about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just a you know a perspective that i don't i don't think many people look at or get to see well, i feel like it's hard to even know about things like that sounds really simple but like job like all the different positions and routes to go i think is really daunting especially for folks right now like in our generation who just graduated who are like literally where is there to go because partly there isn't a lot of places to go um but yeah field wise it's confusing and difficult i wonder how many did we have a lot of medical answer people we did actually I was reading something that I guess they're using anthropologists or people like a subspecialty of anthropology to study medical informatics. Ooh. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. What is medical informatics? <laughs> so anthropologists, I took this from a research article, they uh, collaborate you know, for construction of health and illness, patient-focused research, the organization and delivery of healthcare services, the design and implementation of electronic health records, and ethics, power, and surveillance. 
So I guess basically they're saying that health informatics offer, you know, uh, empirical data for anthropologists mm -hmm. to draw from. Oh, gotcha. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and it's, it's funny when you start like reading things and you see how certain field, I would have never have thought health informatics mm -hmm. and anthropology would, you know, like who would have right. known? And, yeah. and, you know, much like that, before I started working at the medical examiner's office, I didn't even consider, you know, the medical examiner's office in relation to public health. Mm -hmm. Right. We've got suicide death data. We've got overdose, what kind of mm -hmm. drugs they overdosed on, you know, like we have a lot of data it like is all intersecting constantly yeah i feel like that's part of the issue with self-defining as an anthropologist is because there's no it is like literally you can say you're an anthropologist in any field arguably like it, it is everything <laughs> all the time it is which is why you can tack on like any word to anthropology too like an art anthropologist there you go that's a profession. So it's like pasta. You can just add anything <laughs> to it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think with the informatics, that makes a lot of sense because especially with like thinking about how, how many gaps there are in healthcare and just in right. medical school alone of how we treat a lot of certain things that can lead to a lot of different deaths for like maybe, you know, some people had gone to the doctor and weren't treated well and then end up mm -hmm. in your office. And like, if there was more studying about the kind of behaviors of people and like validating the patient experience in the medical field. And that's like something that is really, and not, it's not new. It's just a lot more conversation is happening about how people are violated and not cared for. Yeah. So I think that that is an awesome connection to make that, you know, people are looking at anthropologists. I think it's a cool field, you know, you, you really, you get to study why well, I just mean anthropology in general. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's psychology, sociology, I would assume, you know, even kind of some theology you're, you're right. Oh yeah. A little bit of honestly, everything. We went to a Catholic school. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many layers of people and things that go into it. So it's like you could study anything from boiling the meat off bones to <laughs> I was looking up other um podcasts about anthropology and I think we're really in a bit of a bubble because a lot of them are so like heady. We're the only, we're the only like entertainment ones. Yeah, we're the only ones that are like we just like people. <laughs> that's how I found you. I was like, I want anthropology podcasts. Like that's how I how I found you. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes, because I was just oh. searching and then this came up and I'm like, oh, this this looks fun. Not like you were saying, like, heady and... <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of older white men talking to each other mm. about... Have you ever watched Parks and Rec? Yes. Do you know when Leslie Nub goes to that radio show and he's like, and here is the... <laughs> here is the lesbian musicians of South Island. Those are what a lot of the um, um oh my god, I feel like I'm really mean sometimes. <laughs> That's what the anthropology podcast sound like. I feel like one of the people I'm talking about is gonna hear this and know that it's them. Oh now before you either of you studied anthropology, was your and I'm not making assumptions when I ask this, were your mm. worldviews a little tighter than they are now? 
I mean, in my two years of school, I see even taking like biology, chemistry, science classes, my work, mm. my view of society and other people's point of view is really expanded. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that even opened up more when you took anthropology. What do you think, Erin? I think kind like, yes, because obviously anthropology is just like focusing on a lot of different people. But I think that my like women and gender studies like classes open broaden things up for me a little more because I think our anthropology classes weren't as critical as we like wanted them to be. Yeah. Well, I think we, we were the, the main driving in it being critical. Yeah. Yeah. Even the things that I read that I disagreed with helped broaden my like, okay, so this is like, so you guys are reading this theory and this is why you're wrong about this. <laughs> like in that kind of thing. So having to read a lot of things I didn't agree with, I think also helped define what I believe in. I hope it doesn't sound like we're over-exaggerating when we say that our department was really old with the theory. <laughs> like we're not trying to like shit on anyone. We're like literally our experiences in undergrad was that of reading like, like, and we took Native American skulls and put beads in them. And this is how we know that they're not as smart as white people. Like, that was our experience. Oh, wow. um, so, like, it was, like, a lot of... Can you guys, like, just read the classics? And we were, like, the what? What is a classic? Yeah. Which, they have their place, but they have their place as, like, a, as a foundation to uh, advance from. Right, like, to be, like people did this like we need to know this happened in anthropology we can't just it didn't but yeah and it was so it was really just so split like it was like half professors were like like nuance and throwing the whole table over of anthropology and the other half was like you will read this dead man and you won't criticize him and we were just like cool 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 that's not what ginger is saying to us (laughs) well and even then that, that seems paradoxical to anthropology in itself right to read something and go don't well, that's the problem it. is like so many so many anthropologists really really have a nostalgia for what they were able to do when they were coming up when they were able to go to the primitive cultures and i'm using heavy heavy quotations and 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 study the other and be like and then bring it back and be like this is what i found i think they know it's wrong but they loved like they d- don't have enough self reflection or don't want to self-reflect or change it but and they're running up against the fact that we don't want to do that anymore and we're not going to do that and so it teaching us is like literally so hard was the most hard <laughs> like i feel like we were just constantly being like no more i would have thought they would have been more progressive honestly but you know we all did <laughs> now is this is this specific to your school do other are other anthropology programs like this it's like so many anthropology programs, yeah. Oh. There's just not enough, there are not enough women of color anthropologists, people of color anthropologists. There are not enough disabled anthropologists and like gender studies, feminist studies, anthropologists. There's not enough like mixture, the like canonical parts of it. There's not enough old, <laughs> older anthropologists who self-identify as like radical lesbian, you know, like anti-racist. It's just like a lot of like, it's not interdisciplinary, basically, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. And I think a lot of programs are like that. Yeah. Or I know a lot of programs are like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunate. I know. 
We're really trying. I know. <laughs> it's just me and Aaron shoveling. It's good that you have that viewpoint. If nobody had the viewpoint you have about, well, this needs to change and it won't. Yeah. And, I, and, I'm, not, and I'm sure there's other people in the field, like some of your professors, at least half of your professors that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that agree. Like, yes, we, things need to be changed. And could have those conversations with us too. Cause we don't have all the answers, but we know that Mazowski doesn't or whatever his name was. Malinowski. Malinowski. That motherfucker. How dare you forget his name? <laughs> no. <laughs> He's literally Voldemort. Yeah. I think there's good. We should have a count of how many times we mentioned that bitch in these episodes. Him and, um, what's the other one? There's so many. Chaganoff. Ch- Ch- oh. Napoleon. Shagnon, what a bit. I think he's alive, actually. No, I think he died recently. Oh, no. <laughs> well. Yeah, I autopsied him. Was... And we come full circle, yeah. Josh, <laughs> autopsied <laughs> Yeah, he's dead. He died in 2019, baby. Oh, boy. <laughs> baby. <laughs> that really is a good full circle moment for the pot. <laughs> We yeah. end on death. <laughs> and maybe just a quick wrap up. Is there anything you're looking forward to? Big yeah. <laughs> yeah, just school. I'm actually, you know, as hard as it is, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to MTSU next semester and I'm looking forward to it. Hell yeah. That sounds wonderful. Sounds like it's going to be hard and fun. Thank you so much for um, talking to us. It was a really fun time. This has been so wonderful. Thanks for having me on. I hope you you got something useful. You were so much fun to talk to. Yeah, you, you two are as well. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you all so much for listening to Anthropology in the Time of the Apocalypse. Please check us out on all our social medias. Our Instagram is anthro in 2020 podcast. Our Twitter is anthro in 2020. And our email is ant, A-N-T, in the time of the apocalypse at gmail.com. We will answer, and it'll be late. It'll be a long time, but we will answer. So just know that. (laughs) Stay safe out there in the apocalypse. Yay! Anthropology in the time of the apocalypse. You've been listening to Earbud Media Production. Earbud Media, audio for everyone.